Well, welcome to Guilty by Association, the Vanica podcast about all things community association management and technology. My name is Shelly D'Antonio. I'm here today with Dave Sawyer, a founder of Vantica. One of one of five founders. Five. Right. Very good. Remember, it was it was you, Lauren, Greg, Dave, mm-hmm. Will, me, six. Six. Six founders. Right, thank you. Six founders. Right. So um, let's talk about that. So we've had the opportunity to work together. I've had the pleasure of working with you for many, many, many years um, in other industries adjacent to association management. And there were times that we used to tease and dream about creating our own software when we get frustrated with what we had. Why, why Vanica? Why finally take the gamble? Uh, for me, there was several things that were kind of converging at the same time. One, we had a community association management company that was growing and we kept hitting our head against the ceiling of what technology could do to help our business either enable us to do more or uh, help us to be more profitable through mm-hmm. the use of technology. So we were very limited from a technology standpoint. Um, you'll like the next answer. I had a group of people that were very <laughs> smart. I tell this to everybody. I had a group of people that were very smart and had much more potential than just working in a community association management company. So smart people that could solve smart problems, um, in a, in a meaningful way. So I knew we had a good team of people that had some capabilities um, and the industry needed it. So, so there was clearly a need in the industry as we understood what our challenges were from technology. It was pretty easy to look across the landscape and go, there is not a, you know, a, a technology source out there that, that really is going to dominate this interest industry going forward. So mm-hmm. it, it just was kind of the perfect timing as those three things converged. Do you recall anything um, unique about the landscape of the industry at the time outside of that lack of technology that kind of, um, I don't know, made you want to do that? Absolutely. Or? So, yeah. So, so then let's talk technology for a quick second. So, uh, you know, up to that point, uh, the existing solutions were basically server based. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to have multiple office locations. And so we were gonna have to build wide area networks, you know, to be able to have people log into computers in different places. So that, so that, so, um, one of the existing software solutions at the time um, launched a web-based, which mm-hmm. allowed for some ability to do things without having a hardware infrastructure to support it. Um, and so that, so that was probably the thing that I think in, when we were kind of trying to think through this, we, we recognized that having a server-hosted solution was not going to be an optimal solution. I mean, you remember some of our speed mm-hmm. challenges oh, yeah. then. I mean, offices could get shut down because the internet wasn't, you know, plugged in well to them. So right. I, I think that was probably the biggest um, kind of biggest challenge with outside of the actual application and what it was capable of doing, just how how networks worked at the time and how you connected to other locations was a real limitation for us. And mm-hmm. so as cloud-based concepts kind of started to get going around that time frame, um, it was like, hmm, maybe we should build something on a cloud-based infrastructure that will allow right. us to have the flexibility to put it anywhere. Yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned multiple offices. We've, we've grown. You had multiple offices. A lot of our clients are looking to grow their companies, and they're doing that w- with mergers and acquisitions, which you've been very successful at. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your advice or, or you know, anything, lessons you've learned from, from those mergers and acquisitions? Uh, well, let me talk about what we did from an infrastructure standpoint first and mm-hmm. why that was meaningful, and then just general concepts around mergers and acquisitions. Um, so... Um, from an infrastructure standpoint, as you grow your organization, you need to start specializing people, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to get the, the whole name of the game in this business is, you know, seven, 65, 70, 75% of your cost are people. 
And so you've got to engineer ways to make people more and more efficient mm-hmm. um, so, because that's where your profit's going to come from ultimately. Or there's no reason to scale, right? There's no reason to grab other companies or whatever right. it is. So, so, so the good thing is we, when we architected this, we engineered this system to be configurable so that we could scale our organization in an efficient way. Mm-hmm. How's that translated for Vanica with uh, for CAMS, excuse me, without necessarily going th- through, uh, you know, total details, but CAMS has grown by 500% um, since 2016 when we, when we onboarded Vanica. So we've grown by 500% top line revenue. Our profit has grown greater than 500%. So our annual profit has grown by greater than 500%, year, you know, to this point in time. So, um, so, so why does that happen? Primarily because our back office functions are running much more efficiently than they ever did, right? So as we acquire a company, there's, there's freedom to eliminate redundant resources and continue to get more and more efficient as we get bigger. So, so I think that was the enabler for us to think about, you know, getting more aggressive with acquisitions. I think acquisitions for me have a couple key components to them. One, even though there's a lot of emotional um, impact we have in this business dealing with challenging customer situations or, 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 you know, stuff like that, I think the reality is this is a very sticky business. So our customer retention stays pretty high um, th- through, through a lot of, um, you know, maybe neglect on a management company's part, you know, changing out people, mm-hmm. doing, you know, making changes, stuff like that. But all that being said, it stays pretty high. So when you're buying a company with pretty good predict- predictability, you can know that you're going to retain most of the clients with that company. That's a big deal because it gives you the freedom to do some things more aggressively to, you know, get your cost structure under control and make it a more profitable opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, so that was really the thing for us. So going out and buying companies, we could help those companies get a lot more efficient, bring them a lot more capability, help them get a lot more efficient. And, and so that's translated for CAMS in a much bigger company with a, a much more profitable company, quite frankly. Gotcha. And so with that, you're, you're going in and you're helping these companies be more efficient, but that's requiring a lot of change. How do you approach a lot of that change management? Uh, so, so similar to Vanica would change, you know, so it is change management. Great, mm-hmm. great phrase. Um, so I think preparing people for the fact that we're going to bring them up to a new capability. So I don't mean this with any disrespect, but we all kind of live in our own isolated worlds. And so we don't fully appreciate the best answers for how you solve particular problems or how you deliver particular services or what have you. And so when you get exposed to a lot of companies through acquisitions, you start to understand best practices, right? Understand best case scenarios on how to do things. And so then you can bring that kind of playbook to each organization and go, I can help you, you know, I can help build you up to this higher level of performance. Um, It can be as simple as training people in a more effective way. It can be simplifying certain workflows, you know, to do things a little more efficiently versus how they might be doing it. But, but, but as a general concept, we're bringing them new capabilities, which then translate well for their customers because now the customer's seeing things that they've never seen before. It could be as simple as, wow, we never used portals before. That's a great mm-hmm. thing for us to use. Or, wow, it used to take us two months to get our financials. You know, now we get them in 10 days. You know, those little value-added things. So ultimately, we're bringing them new capabilities. Gotcha. Have you ever come up against some sort of obstacle that you, you were not able to overcome? What do you do in those situations? Um, it is not easy doing acquisition. So I think you have to have your organization prepared for change management and their organization prepared, right? Mm-hmm. Because your organization wants to come impose themselves on people and, and kind of be intolerant 
of what their organization, you know, thinks is right or, or whatever. And so, so I wouldn't say, I would say obstacles more in the, in the perspective of, um, having everybody think objectively about a change management process and what the ultimate value, I can okay. tell you with a hundred percent certainty that two years after everybody is much happier, everybody, mm-hmm. right? Because I remember one acquisition we did in particular, um, several years ago, and um, it, it kind of broke CAMS because CAMS wasn't prepared for the change management that, that, that bringing this organization was going to come in and do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it made us, so the good news is after we finally got our, you know, CAM, the CAMS organization around some of the limitations that were kind of built into how that organization worked, um, once we got kind of people, you know, freed up from some of those limitations, the, the organi- both organizations grew tremendously. So mm-hmm. we got a, we got a much more s- focused around standardized processes, right? Okay. So, so processes that were no kidding documented and mm-hmm. no kidding trained properly and no kidding followed, you know, by all. Um, we now today call that the CAMS way, but versus going in and going, well, you want to do it this way and you want to do it this way and you want to do it this way. And the CAMS was already doing it every way they wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a hodgepodge of stuff. So like I said, it, 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 it made us grow quite a bit, mature as an organization to, to run a much larger scale. Good. Very good. Do you have um, particular go-to methods or things like that that you use to deal with managing organizations that have such a big geographic spread or the multiple offices, things like that? What are some some things that you are, you're doing to help streamline the organization? Running a, running a decentralized company now, right? So, mm-hmm. so, we, so we have eight offices. There's large organizations in our industry that have many more. You know, a couple of the challenges are how do you keep your culture tied together? Right. So whereas when you're a one office company and everyone, well, pre-COVID, everybody would walk by everyone's office. Hey, Shelly, how's it going? What's going on? What'd you do over the weekend? We would have that kind of relationship and we would know each other well and have some level of trust of how things would operate. Um, when you start to, you know, build your company through multiple offices, bigger geography, um, I think the challenge is you don't necessarily know everybody personally. Mm-hmm. And so there, so there's a trust um, gap potentially. And so I think, you know, CAMS has implemented a really good, um, what I call, in, you know, old-fashioned intranet uh, okay. structure that um, is, in essence, a centralized resource that everybody connects through. We do a lot more intentional things um, during the course of the week to connect everybody in the organization through teams, and not even business stuff necessarily, but mm-hmm. even just personal stuff. You know, let's get let's get everyone on a, we call it CAMS Connects, let's get everyone on a CAMS Connects um, meeting and let's talk about what spring means to each of us, right? Okay. And it's just a way for us to connect at an inner, you know, at a personal level and develop trust. Um, so I don't know that I'm perfectly answering your question, but 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 the strategies are a lot different when you're in person, mm-hmm. and they lent themselves perfectly to COVID because right. we became even, you know, more decentralized. Even our our individual offices became people scattered about. So we, we do think a lot about strategies to try to keep the, the organization connected in a meaningful way mm-hmm. and feeling good. Our internal MPS, uh, employee MPS scores um, are the highest they've ever been. And I feel like I know personally fewer and fewer people, mm-hmm. which is fine. But the reality of that is people feel more connected than ever. And yet we're, we're not actually physically connected anymore. So that's interesting. That's great. And that's a great point about just making sure that you're building that company culture, because I know that company culture is so important, and especially, like you said, not just with multiple offices, but with folks being remote for COVID as right. well. That's right. Um, do you guys have any struggles with remote workers still, or do you feel like that's all 
pretty streamlined and standardized. Eerily, right it's eerily, it's kind of like the perfect place to be right now. Um, yeah. I'm a very old fashioned, uh, you know, office guy, eight to five type thing. I I was, you know, calibrated with that my whole life or my life before coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, actually, I because of our because of Annika, so I'll put a plug in because <laughs> of other technology tools, because of other solutions we use. I think people are as connected as they've ever been. It just happens mm-hmm. to be through a different methodology. Um, but I think people are as connected as they've ever been. So, so, it, so, I, you know, and you know, in our office that I sit in today, as a matter of fact, I walked. Or I used to love walking around mm-hmm. just for ten minutes a day and going, "Hey, so and so. Hey, so and so. What's going on?" It it doesn't happen anymore, you know, like that. And mm-hmm. I don't have the ability to do that anymore. Um, I just went through two empty offices today. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel good. But in the reality, people are happy. We're delivering the right service. The organization continues to move forward in a good way. That's great. Um, so you mentioned 8 to 5 and, and previous lives and things like that. Tell us your story. How did you get into association management to begin with? <laughs> um, well, so my background is I, I'm a manufacturing guy out of college, so – I've been reflecting on reflecting on this a lot recently. So, for the first ten years of my life, I worked in manufacturing. So, I'm I come at life from a process engineering standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, I think a lot about how to maximize people's efficiency. You hear me use the word all the time: efficiency, mm-hmm. labor, all that stuff. So, anyways, that's how I was kind of conditioned early in my life. Um, uh, after being about ten years in the corporate world, uh, my mother and father, who started a real estate brokerage in Wilmington, North Carolina. We're looking for um, their succession, what was going to happen after they retired. I joined the organization. Um, I didn't like real estate brokerage so much, not that it's a bad business for all those mm-hmm. people that do that for a living. Just not, just not for you? Yeah, just not for – I'm a process guy. I'm not, a, I'm not a, as, as great of a people, you know, salesperson. So anyways, that being said, I got very interested in property management. Why? Property management as a general concept is a contracted service, a long-term contracted service with a, you know, kind of a – recurring renewal process. So it's somewhat predictable. So I got involved in rental, you know, managing single family rental properties. I like that business a lot. I still do that today. Um, also, in addition, but, um, but then I bought a rental management company and it came with community association mm-hmm. uh, accounts. So I, I inherited some accounts, didn't have a clue what we were doing, which is, I think, normal for this industry, how people jumped into it mm-hmm. is you just kind of backed your way in. Uh, ended up liking it, uh, buying a couple other rental management, you know, companies, buy, which I inherited a couple more accounts. And then from there, it was just one of these niche businesses that not a lot of competition. Uh, the dynamics are cool. You know, the customers are pretty sticky. Mm-hmm. The business model's pretty, very predictable. So you can make good long-term decisions and, and see them through in a meaningful way. Um, and so the only thing, you know, just to be cute about it, the only thing that was missing was a great technology solution mm-hmm. to really empower, enable, empower this business to do better. And I think that's our Vanica journey, right? I think that's what yeah. Vanica's journey is all about is how to enable the industry to, to be its best. Education of the, for the customer mm-hmm. is, to me, a massively difficult challenge. I don't think, you know, people, roughly today, 75% of all new construction in this country, residential construction, mm-hmm. is built in a community association. And I just, you know, when people move in, a lot of times that's their first experience. You know, what is this about? And, and it's like, just pay your dues and don't worry about it. And most people yeah. pay their dues and they don't worry about it. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it works. But, but um, it's, a really, it's a real big challenge for companies mm-hmm. and maybe for software to kind of help 
customers understand what the value of this, this service is that they receive. Yeah. Any particular tactics that you guys have used in the past that you found to be very successful in helping that education? Um, we, um, we try to get better at this every year. So, but to, but to answer your question, I think first is helping board members understand what their role is, right? So the very first line of defense, if you will, mm-hmm. is helping board members understand what the role of a board member is and help them be more effective board members. So we do a variety of things. We have, we have, we, you know, we have printed up, tr- mm-hmm. you know, manuals, if you will, that help them understand. We conduct uh, sessions, training mm-hmm. sessions with specialists to help them understand that. We do that on our own. Um, as boards change over, we do things to prepare them for the next, you know, so we do all those things um, reasonably well. Um, there's a whole lot more we could do candidly. And then homeowners, um, it, uh, I'm writing a book about this right now. So coincidentally, I just put a lot of pressure on myself, uh, but I'm writing a book about this. Um, uh, I'm having a ghostwriter help me do that. But the whole concept of the book is a simplified 60, 70 page manual for a homeowner to understand what the heck is a community association. So uh, we're going through and editing kind of the final things. And my goal is that for my management company, CAMS, we can distribute that book out to homeowners as they purchase real estate. And it's not mm-hmm. so cumbersome to be able to sit down for 30 minutes or 45 minutes and kind of get a general, you know, 80% good understanding of what the heck did I just buy into and what, and what does that mean for me? That's really interesting. What um, kind of prompted you to go down the book route? Um, I... Well, well, first of all, the book to me is something that most people don't throw away. So it has mm-hmm. longevity to it. Um, you know, how many of us have stuff like that, old calendars or whatever. That, right. So anyways, I felt like it had a shelf life. Um, I, my, our strategy is to, was to write it in a simplified enough fashion mm-hmm. that people would be able to read it in a, sitting, in a setting and not be so overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, it's going to take me a week. Um, I, I wanted to write it at a level that people would easily be able to absorb most of the concepts, so it's not a complex, you know, subject to talk about. Um, and and so so, anyways, with the goal of you asked a great question. So the goal mm-hmm. is we the more people are educated, the more they'll understand the value of this relationship, and then and then they'll understand some things. So, um, gotcha. anyways, yeah. So so you've built successful companies. You've um, you're writing books. You're always growing into something new. Where do you get that entrepreneurship motivation from? I'm going to suggest that as an engineer, I'm not a, I'm not a very good engineer uh, at using the true definition of engineering, but I think from, from maybe social engineering, mm-hmm. um, I'd have to look that word up to make sure I'm not misusing it, but, or that concept to make sure I'm not misusing it, but I, I've, I very often walk into situations and I'm constantly looking at the inefficiencies that exist in something, mm-hmm. and I'm asking the questions, how can we make this less inefficient? or ultimately how to make it more efficient. So whether I walk in a restaurant and I, and I pay attention to how a restaurant's laid out and why they, you know, do the things they do in the restaurant or whether I walk into a retail store or whether I walk into another business, my mind just is always thinking, I don't know why, but I'm always thinking about that, that, that business situation and then, and then how to do something about it. So, so that from that, then Mm -hmm. I start thinking about, okay, well, um, from our own business standpoint, it's just this continuous improvement mindset of how can we just incrementally improve this thing and make it better? And, mm-hmm. and, and if you do that, what's the reward for that, right? What's the profit for doing something? So, but it's a weird thing with me. Maybe I'll turn that off someday. But I, I, that's, that's just always my burden is I'm always paying attention to just about any scenario. And my mother, uh, who, yeah. um, you know, gifted me with a lot of things, she asked, she was a person that asked a lot of questions 
And early mm-hmm. in my life, I, you know, I think most of us think asking questions is a vulnerable thing because it may expose you for what you don't know. But my mother, I finally understood um, over a long period of time that my mother tended to be much smarter than most people mm-hmm. and not because she was intellectually, mo- you know, in, you know, smarter, but she asked enough good questions that she started to understand more things than yeah. most people understood. So, uh, so anyways, so walking into situations, then, you know, coupling my curiosity with then asking a bunch of questions, you, you become somewhat of a learner. Mm-hmm. And so you're in this learning mindset all the time about, Oh, okay. What does that all mean? What can we do about that? Yeah, no, that's a really great point. I remember your mother's questions. Um, my Irritating mother, as they might have been. Yeah, I was going to say, well, did you have the the, the moments of, um, my mother used to tell me that everybody else in the world would answer her questions except her children. Did you have the same relationship 100%. with your mom? We were offended by the questions, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, this the dumb things. You go into McDonald's, and that, now my mom was also a negotiator, but you go into mm-hmm. McDonald's and it'd be like, hey, as opposed to two hamburgers, if I only buy on that double hamburger, if I only buy one hamburger, would you do that for thirty-five cents? And <laughs> yep. you're like, Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> and but but over but people would say yes. Yeah. I mean, whenever she would uh, that's that's not a perfect example, but whenever she'd ask these questions, a lot of times people would say yes. It just to your point, it took me getting over my own mm-hmm. vulnerabilities or my own sensitivities to go. You know what? That turned out to be a really start stra- smart strategy. Really great thing. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with what you said about your mom. That's funny. Um, so you build really good companies, really good other things, um, writing books. You also build really good teams. That's something that we've noticed in the past. And, and people who have worked for you always think that you're a really good leader. What are some of your personal leadership principles or things that you're looking at? Um, well, I, so I guess two part quick question, um, personal leadership principles, and then what do you look for when you're building good teams? Um, my personal leadership, um, you know, kind of principles, if you will, um, I, accountability is a huge deal to me. So, so being responsible for your own stuff, um, um, integrity is a huge deal, of course. And sometimes those are just pay to play concepts, but I, I truly do believe that, the, that they're, they're, you know, really important. Um, being able to get along well with other people is a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, um, brilliant jackasses are, you know, as the saying goes, a pain in the ass. Um, so, so, so I, I do have principles around that. From a team standpoint, um, I and maybe it goes back to the previous conversation around questions. I love to get to know people at a, at a pretty decent level. So mm-hmm. I generally like to spend a lot of time with people and start to appreciate what what they're kind of made up, you know, made of in my own mind, and you know what their values are and what their ambitions are and what their challenges are and 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 all that good stuff. And so. It's funny you asked this question because I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I was reflecting on something when I was much younger. And so it's somewhat applicable. So I'll just tell this quick story. Um, I got fired from a job when I was 25 years old. Um, I was at the peak of my intellectual and personal capabilities <laughs> and I got fired, which just means I was, a, I was and not even a brilliant jackass. I was a dumb jackass. But anyway, so I got fired. And so I went and had the opportunity to... Um, work for another company. So it took me a while to get a job and I went to work for another company. And what, and when I started working for another company, um, early on, they said, we want you to go fix a, a broken business. In essence was what they wanted to do. They actually were just putting me on a broken business so they could get rid of it ultimately. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have any faith or confidence that I was going to do anything well with it. But lo and behold, um, I started to get to know some people on the team and I started to understand what our challenge was as a business. And so two things happened. One during that time, I fixed my se- I fixed the business. The end of the story mm-hmm. is I fixed the business. I made it. Uh, I made our production 
go on time quality cost all that stuff the way they wanted me to do it so i actually did that but i also fixed myself in a big way and part of fixing myself was understanding the capabilities of other people so i had two young guys i was in my 20s so i had chris johnson and and jason barnes i'll never forget them and they were my two guys that they one could do anything manufacturing and one could do anything materials scheduling delivery and, and so I started to understand the value of people's capabilities and how much, if you built a good team, the sky, you know, the sky was the limit. And, that, and now I can reflect back on the success of my own career, and it's 100% dependent on different people that have come into my life uh, at different places and what that new capability they brought to the organization, mm-hmm. they brought to me, they brought to the team, you being one of those very important people in my life. Oh, um, but there's, you know, there's a lot of people during this journey that I could definitely say – but, but I had to take some time to get to know, you know, mm-hmm. I had to know what they were capable of, what their, like I said, their ambitions, what their motivations were. And, and the little thing, like the X factor thing, right? What is, mm-hmm. what was their uniqueness? My, I call it X factor that made them different than the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, you, and you know this. And so through the years, I've been blessed with a, a bunch of really interesting people that just, the more you surround yourself with those ki- types of people, you don't get limited. You go start a software company. Yeah. <laughs> That's you right. know, moral of the story, you go start a software company. So what's next? What's next for you? Man, I'm ready to slow down. Um, I um, More wine tours? Yeah, more wine tours. Uh, so um, I've done this now for 25 years. Um, I do seriously want to slow down a little bit. Um, I, you know, you know me, I've had three or four business going at one time. So um, I would, so, so, but if I were to, you know, maybe play to my ambition a little bit. I think maybe going and start another software company would be an interesting idea. We have some, I have okay. some thoughts around other opportunities. You know, now I've been around some smart software people for mm-hmm. a number of years. Um, so anyways, maybe the potential to go start. I probably am less inclined to do something service oriented or people oriented just because okay. I've done it for a long time, but I probably would have an interest in doing something like that. Um, and then to your point about travel, my wife and I love to travel. So going out and learning new places and new experiences is a priority for us at this point. Awesome. Well, I can't, can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Guilty by Association. We'll see you next time. <laughs>